You are about to listen to I Like To Movie Movie on the Roadside Network. I like to movie movie. I like to movie movie. I like to movie movie. You like to movie. I like to movie movie. I like to movie movie. I like to movie movie. You like to movie. Um, I guess we should start it off. Good, uh, good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time it is you've chosen to listen to us. <laughs> this is uh, a new podcast uh, called "I Like to Movie Movie." I like to movie movie. Yes, this is uh, this is a podcast that that has begun with the intention of celebrating films that deserve to be celebrated. Yes, uh, we were talking about it on the way here. I think uh, the sort of theme for the show will be we want to talk about movie movies we want to talk about movies that are 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 they celebrate the fact that they're movies they they take the medium the visual medium that is movies and and use it to its fullest extent it's not just a story that we're watching you know someone just filmed a story we're actually watching someone who has you know turned that that medium into a piece of art yes yes and you know all the movies full that advantage we do. of what that art can do exactly that form can do exactly yeah uh, so we're going to start with uh, what? Oh, uh, I'm Garrett Smith, by the oh, way. Yes, yes uh, I am Dan Scully. Yes, we are your hosts. Uh, we, this is welcome to the Roadside Network. Uh, we're, we're part of the Roadside Network, I believe, uh, where I have a, a podcast called Trailer Trash, and uh, Dan has a podcast, Super Crappy Fun Time. Yeah, so you can find us on uh, on Roadside Network on our other shows. But uh, this will be sort of a we're thinking biweekly show where we uh, we sit down and we just uh, tell you about something we love. Absolutely, and, and that's what it's all about. Oftentimes, I have been told that. I don't have good movie reviews. People can't trust them because I like everything, and yes. to which I always say, I just don't see things I won't like. But I think it's more attributed to the fact that there's things to like about every movie. Yes. And some movies, there's so much to like, or at least so much to discuss, that to call it a bad movie is unfair. Yes, I agree. And I, I think that's what we're going to do is, uh, most of the movies I think we can say are pretty objectively good. Yes. Or at least objectively uh, respected. Yeah. And... Uh, and we and we, we made love a, them. we made a long list of movies we love that we're <laughs> going to get through over the course of the show, and there are a couple in there that are probably not objectively good movies, but they're movies there are that a few. we feel like are are worth talking about and discussing. That there's uh, there's something there that's worth celebrating. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but we're going to start with yes. uh, oh, uh, one of our mutually just favorite movies, uh, something that I do think objectively is considered a, a great movie. At and this I would point. say objectively respected, and and it'll be around long after it is all dust. Oh. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, and that movie is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yes, The Shining. Yes. And, and it's such a discussable movie because The Shining exists in all the three main mediums. Yes. It is It is a film movie. It is a TV movie. It is a classic book yes. from a revered author. Uh, and uh, I, I, that's sort of, I think, how we should start the discussion. I think it's an easy way into talking about The Absolutely. Shining. Is It is a, a story that has been adapted uh, twice now Uh for, you know, that was the book that Sta- uh, I keep. I always confuse the name. Stephen King wrote mm. uh, that Stanley Kubrick then adapted in the eighties. The conspiracy Stephen- theory that the same person, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> King, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> It has to be. It's true. The same initials, yeah. Uh, and then uh, King readapted it uh, for the for television. Uh, Seemingly in, in response to the Kubrick version, because he was upset with it. And that's what's interesting about it is each adaptation seems to be a response to the the previous work. Absolutely, absolutely. And what's what what inspired this podcast is we got into the discussion 
Um, I believe I had started by saying that Stanley Kubrick had kind of missed the point of Stephen King's book. Yes. But in the process found a better story. I agree. I, I think he gets to just like the heart of, of King's story. There's like mm-hmm. a, like when we were, we just watched it actually. We literally just got done <laughs> watching did, the show. About shining. 10 minutes ago, we wrapped the closing credits on it. Yes. Uh, and, and something I was noticing was a couple of things like the, uh, the snow cat, the, 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 the fucking, is that what they call it? The, the truck thing? Yeah, we'll call it the snow. <laughs> 10 minutes ago, what did they call it? I'm pretty the, sure they call it like the snow cat. Yeah, the snow cat. Like we'll, we'll call it the snow but cat. But it's the, it's the, it's the snowmobile. The, yeah. yeah, it's like a snowmobile. That it features probably prominently in the book like mm-hmm. there's a lot of discussion of the snowmobile and they're constantly out in the shed seeing it and uh they literally just like they show it to you in the very beginning of the movie then they show it to you at the end when he's removed the engine and that's it and it's because Kubrick just takes like the very base element there that is scary that is frightening and just gives it to you oh yes yeah. uh he, so he sort of boils the book down to its essential terrifying elements and some scenes in some ways the opposite too where he takes an innocuous scene and really wrings the tension out of it yes and uh um I think an example of that is when when Daddy wants to get his fire truck. Oh yeah, you know that scene. He goes in, and that's that's a terrifying. I'm trying to remember the scene in the book. It is a terrifying scene because you're seeing it through the eyes of a child. But when you watch it on the screen and you see Madman Nicholson, yes, just really, really, you don't know if he's going to explode. That's such a small scene in the book that is just just torn for tension in the movie. And you and I were talking about one of the interesting things about that scene is that occurs probably an hour into the movie. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the first times Danny and his father even interact at all. Absolutely. It's the only time in the movie I think they physically interact with one another. Previous to that, we've seen them have a conversation in the car. And a terrifying conversation in the car. Yeah, where he explains to him about cannibals. Your roommate even said that. He was like, why is this dad talking to him? But, uh, you know, it's like the first time they physically interact. It's like an hour into the movie, and it's like absolutely terrifying. Terrifying. You you realize it. uh, a lot of the movie is just you. So one of the things that we talked about a lot is one of the things that King didn't like about the uh, Kubrick's adaptation was the casting of Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. He said something to the effect of, my book was a story about a normal man going crazy. Uh, Kubrick's movie was about a crazy man going crazier. Right. And... We've had a, we've yeah. been talking about this a lot. I feel like I there's do a lot with to that. unpacked here. I I, I kind of do too. I mean, I both I I disagree with it, but I I, I see King's I see point. Uh, but I don't know that there's anything wrong with the way because it it doesn't seem like Jack was the even with Nicholson being kind of crazy from the moment the movie begins, and he kind mm. of is. I mean, the very first time his wife talks to oh, him, we she's clearly him kind as crazy of a, to begin yeah. with as as a movie digesting audience. When we yeah. see Nicholson, we know there's that edge. Yeah, and he's got that crazy face and the eyebrows and stuff. It's all there. Uh, the widow's peak, you know. Um, mm. But he even the first time he talks with his wife on the phone when he calls her from the hotel, mm. there's like a nervousness in her voice to talk to him, mm. and it's clear that there's just a history there that the book takes time to explore. Kubrick's movie just assumes Mm -hmm. Kubrick's movie assumes the history of a good guy who's sort of like through years of alcoholism and and different things in his past uh, is starting to sort of lose his grip. Absolutely. Uh, That's just an assumed history in the movie that in the book is just more explored. Well, and and as books can afford to be. Yeah. You know, and that is part of of trimming the fat there. I I think the reason I like Nicholson being crazy is that his initial crazy is that same kind of human crazy that I think everybody is capable of. Yes. You know, even the most normal person can end up having a problem with the drink. Even the most... He has that, that bad boy image 
that carries on to that character that you can tell at one point he was this young, hip, cool yeah. writer. He got around. He fucked women, did his drugs, yep. did that stuff. And now he's really trying to make a concerted effort to settle down. But that flame is still awake in him. And, and then the powers of the house yeah. use that flame as his weakness to exploit and I do the essential haunting. One of my initial theories about uh, Kubrick's movie is that it is about an every man that goes that snaps. Mm. Uh, and what's so frightening about the movie is the point of the movie is this is all of us. This is any of us. Any of us could be driven to oh, this yeah. kind of insanity. We're you all can't be fragile enough that the weight of your past crushes you, right? You know, and, and informs your future in that way, right? And it, it's that we all have that potential to snap like that, mm. and, and that with the right influences at the wrong time. Uh, which the house is essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could snap like <laughs> the that. hotel. The <laughs> hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We 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 could snap like that. And and uh, but uh, watching the movie this time and having just watched Room Two Thirty Seven beforehand, which is a, a great documentary, we'll get into in a minute. Mm. Uh, I I I I think I'm convinced on this watching that the ho- there is something going on in the house. Its past is coming alive. Absolutely. And, and it's it it sees Jack Torrance as a. Um, I think he's a conduit into exactly uh, the house. Really, seems the house, <laughs> the house, the house, yeah, the, 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 hotel. the haunted hotel, the Overlook Hotel, which is, you know, in a uh, in in Stephen King's version, is the main character of the story in a way. In the uh, in the Kubrick version, it is more the catalyst. Yes, but but I think that that it is a haunted house, and it's a haunted house that gains strength in. You know, in absorbing the the tortured souls that are within it, yes, and I think it sees that weakness of Jack's past, yep. and of you know how fragile his relationship it capitalizes is on it, takes and just advantage says, of it. I can tip him over the edge, yeah. you know, and then and use it to the house's gain, right? But what I used to describe the movie as is you could take a look at the movie, and there's a few instances that disprove this, but for the most part, you could say that everything that happens in the movie is in Jack's imagination. That Jack Absolutely. is is projecting these things onto the hotel in order to excuse his own behavior. Mm-hmm. That he feels held back from the moment the movie begins by his annoying, nagging wife and his kind of like bitch of a whining son. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you, you have these two characters that to him are holding him back from writing this great American novel that he should have the opportunity to write while he's locked up in this hotel, yeah, he's but they too prevent busy living him from it. Busy life. Right. Uh, and that was always kind of how I saw the movie, but watching it again, I, I do think there is something to the house and something to the idea of history repeating itself and mm. uh, needing to retrace our footsteps, as Danny does at the end in the maze, mm. uh, in order to prevent these things from reoccurring. Knowing one's history to yes. prevent it from happening. And, and I think... Uh, it it is a classic example of an unreliable narrator. I mm-hmm. love that device. That's why I love the 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 uh, book American Psycho. Yes, because it's completely unreliable. You don't know what the fuck's going on, whether it's true or not. It's just words coming at you. And in this, there are three points of views for the movie. There's Jack, there's Danny, and then there's Halloran, the yes. uh, the head chef. That all three are afflicted by The Shining. Yes. So when you see it from their point of view, you don't know whether it's a vision, whether yeah. it's and you just kind of have to pick and choose what is what. Yeah. But the reason I think, and we discussed this just now when we were watching it, that it is supernatural is when Jack is in the freezer. Yes. And gets out of the freezer. Just somehow. It is like the one instance in the movie that directly there's there's no way Jack could have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, he couldn't imagine the door open and it actually physically opens. Everything else could clearly be an imaginatory thing mm-hmm. that doesn't actually afflict the physical plane even when danny gets the bruises on him 
there's missing time there. Jack could have actually given him to them. Oh, yeah. Given we, him and we him. just you didn't know, get we a just chance didn't get to see it. it. Uh, so, like, there are reasonable explanations for everything else except for that freezer door opening mm. on its own, uh, which seems to be a clear intrusion by the house into the situation to try and continue drawing Jack in mm-hmm. and uh, make him a part of the house, which the ending, I think you and I have agreed, like, that's what the ending is. That's seeing him in the picture in 1921 is just the house collecting him. Yes, the and, house has collected him. And, yeah. and I think that the house has certain templates it has to fill. Yes. When Grady's talking to Jack in the bathroom, he says, you've always been the caretaker. Yeah. And I just feel like there was always... You know that's that's what the caretaker does. It's like these He's natu- the guy that kills his family. It's like these forces of nature. Exactly. You know, I was thinking that towards the end of the movie that they start to get to this point where he's having these conversations with these ghosts about almost the inevitability of mm. all of these things. That these are just forces of nature that have to play out inside this hotel. And there's where once again Kubrick succeeds over Stephen King with the source material. Is that, and we, and we spoke about how. Jack showing up at the hotel for the interview. At that point, it almost appears as if he's sold on the job. Already. He's sold on the job. He's doing it. It, it wasn't even his choice. It was out of his hands. Yep. He was drawn to the uh, drawn to the Overlook Hotel yep. and drawn into it. And, and you know, he, he didn't have control over that at any point. And there's in, it was his fate to get there and, and be lost in it. And there's, in general, even in that conversation, especially conversations between him and Wendy, him and his mm. wife, but even in that conversation with uh, Ullman, the guy that runs the hotel... Uh, there is a a fakeness to every conversation Absolutely. that happens in the movie because every seems... conversation has one ulterior motive on every character. Exactly, uh, and that conversation specifically, the the one between him and Ullman, they are having the conversation in a way where it both seems like they're bored, like they're just putting on these airs of like, yeah, my uh, clearly my job as Ullman, the guy who runs the hotel, is to explain to you your duties, even though. You already know them and have accepted what mm. we're doing here and know that really I'm inviting you into this crazy history that uh, you need to help us enact and repeat. And Jack is just, I re- reference him as a knight in Satan's service when we were mm. watching it because that's sort of what he is. He like accepts his role right from the get go. He like, almost just exists as a plot device. Exactly. He's like, yeah, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Uh, so sure, we can put on airs and talk about the duties, quote unquote, that I'll have throughout the... I think you could call him a horror template. He... he- Almost is the the classic, you know, you're doomed. Yeah. You're all doomed. Yes. But we have Kubrick reworking that to being, yes. yeah, he's a plot device, but it's also, you know, it speaks to the fact that this is happening anyway. Yeah. This train is headed in one direction. Yeah. We're just getting on here, you know. Yeah. And Jack's been drawn to this hotel for a long time. And one of the things that we were talking about to sort of move the conversation a little bit is the uh, the adaptation aspect where, like, King really did not like Kubrick's movie. Mm-hmm. And you and I had kind of discussed before that it almost, my opinion would be that it's because King didn't actually understand what was good about his own story Oh, yeah. He created a great story. Created and it's a, a great fantastic story. book. Yeah. And what, what proves it to me that he didn't really understand what was great about his own story is his version of it that he made for tv because like in the book yes it's a haunted house story but like it doesn't have any normal like haunted house trappings Mm -hmm. there aren't like doors that close on their own behind characters as they walk out of a room you know there's not like a rocking chair rocking on its own anywhere Ah, but is there there's chairs that disappear right, there are yeah, rooms yeah. that don't make sense there are windows that, that oh yeah we'll, have sunlight we'll get into that uh but, but it's that's not, it's uh, not the my, standard horror movie not the shit, standard it's you know? kubrick subverting that yeah you know the creaking door you don't get but the door that was there once and is no longer there now right. that's what you get and these aren't things that that we outwardly notice they're so these are things that just throw you off and make you feel uncomfortable yeah and um, to use a movie as a sensual experience is yes. something that is very very I mean, I'm not going to say distinctly Kubrick, but the man knows how to do it. Oh yeah, he's. I mean, he's incredible, and I do. I actually really want to get into that a little bit more. Uh, but I, but the the point of the TV movie, just to talk about that for a second. Uh, the 
My problem with it is you watch it and it has all of the trappings of a haunted house story. Absolutely, like, yeah. It's got rocking chairs on the porch that rock on their own. There's a scene where uh, the character Wendy is like walking out of one of the dining rooms and all of a sudden you see all the cabinet doors open on their own. Mm-hmm. Like it's got all of these standard horror movie trappings. It's like he didn't really he in he was making such a concerted effort to like prove that uh, his book was something different than what Kubrick thought it was that he ends up making it like a really like almost worse version of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, which is only proven the most at the end. Uh, at the end of the TV version, he redeems Jack's character. Oh, and it's disgusting. It, it's awful. So in the book, Jack's character is sort of redeemed. Uh, he blows the hotel up that, with himself inside. With himself it's a inside, sacrifice, which yeah. is the point that I like to make. Is sure you could say that's a redemption for Jack because he saves his family, but he it doesn't redeem him. It doesn't make him good. Mm. It, it redeems him in that he saves his family, but it, it doesn't redeem. It doesn't make him good. He was evil. He did evil things, and he knew he was evil. And to really save his family, he had to take himself down with the house. Absolutely. Uh, so it's a redemption, sure, but it's not a redemption of Jack. It's not like rewriting the past and saying Jack wasn't actually evil. You know, mm. it never does that. It, it makes the point that Jack was definitely evil. The TV movie ends. It cuts like twelve years later after the house explodes, after the hotel explodes. Cuts like twelve years later. Danny is graduating from high school. And he's walking across the stage, and his mom's in the audience, and she's applauding. And he gets his diploma, and he walks across the stage. And all of a sudden, as he gets to the other side of the stage, a vision of the ghost of his father, Jack, uh, appears. Who's played by Steven Weber of Wings fame. Yes. Not Jack Nicholson of Cuckoo's Nest fame. It's a different <laughs> level. Yes. It's, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Weber is like, it's so funny to watch him play that character. And he's one of those guys that he he does have that like edgy like he could he looks like he's up to something but he's he's TV. Yeah. He's just TV. There is a difference and but at, at the same time it is uh Kubrick does accomplish a very similar thing but does it just with a better depth of hand where you know King's novel he burns down the hotel with himself inside it gets to free his family. Um in the uh you know in the in the TV version. Oh no, let's go to the Kubrick version. Yeah. He doesn't sacrifice himself, but he is. It gets to the point where it almost seems like the Overlook Hotel cuts its losses. Yes. It says, "Listen, Danny's getting away. Yep. You know, the mom's getting away, but we've got we've got Jack. We got him, and so that's good enough for us. And so he he isn't redeemed, right? Because he totally has accepted this possession almost right. of the hotel. And so to have him redeemed in the TV one, I think that's very much a knee jerk Stephen King yes. reaction to say. You didn't. I, I got to give him such a big redemption because it's so important to me that he was never crazy in the first place. Right. And Whereas him being a little crazy just makes him a little more relatable and a little more. It makes the story scarier. It makes it scarier because because it could I don't be think any anyone of us. Fe- exactly. I don't think anyone feels normal. I, th- no, I think yeah. we all have a little bit of craziness. Yeah. And it's just unlucky that Jack Torrance. His was so exploitable by yes. such the image of the hotel. Oh my god! <laughs> I fucking it's love so this good. Movie. But <laughs> so the redemption they give him at the end of the TV version is when Danny gets to the other side of the stage. Jack appears and he says, "Danny, I love you and I'm proud of you." Yeah. And Danny smiles and his father wisps away and and that's the end of it. It's it's just like it, clearly King didn't get why his story was so good. Like oh, yeah. Jack's not a redeemable character. Nobody wants to see him redeemed at the end of that story. Not at all. He's no. awful. Yeah. You want to see him eliminated. He's a disease. Yeah. And and it's uh and, and I think that's that's very important distinction to make, especially because it does seem as if before they even arrived at the hotel, he was drawn to it. Yes. It was fate. Yes. And that just makes it that does make it more scary, uh, more scary, more scarier. <laughs> yes. Makes it more most scariest. 
when you think about it that way. Well, and so what I want to talk about then, too, because you were talking about this a little bit, is there's a documentary that came out called Room ah, 237. Yes. Room 237. Uh, which I just watched the other day in preparation for this. And it's essentially, it's really, the way it's done is really interesting. Mm, uh, it's, not a single talking head. It's exactly. It's all narrative. It's all narrative. And all the footage is stock footage, mostly from Kubrick's filmography. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if some it's other. It's almost 100% like, shining. There's just a couple little visual gags where they reference Eyes yeah, Wide Shut. Some or, of his other movies. Yeah. And. Uh, and they sort of go through different people's theories about what The Shining is and means. Mm. And it's everything from pretty interesting stuff where, like, one guy is describing, and this was one of the most interesting ideas to me, one guy is describing the impossible architecture of Absolutely. the Overlook Hotel. And he's not the first. That There's been an internet, uh, not meme, but an internet following around a certain YouTube video where they discuss it. And it's really broken down, and the Overlook Hotel cannot exist the way yeah. that it does. Yep. It's uh, for I mean, the best example I thought was uh, Ullman's office. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the opening shots in the movie is Jack walking through the very front doors of the Overlook Hotel, walking to the front desk and saying, I have an appointment with Mr. Ullman. And she says, OK, go around this way. He walks along the desk and makes a left further into the hotel, makes another left to go directly behind the counter we just saw him at, and then makes a right into an office. And in that office, front and center is a bright, bright window leading outdoors. And it's impossible. Even though he is in the dead center of this hotel the, that has no courtyard hand. or anything like that. The way that that shot, too, the path he takes to the, yes. to the office is incredible because it clearly isolates the office, dead center mm -hmm. of the hotel, where you cannot... It, it's surrounded by hotel. Hotel. There's and then no you enter outdoors in. there. And so it's, it shows how purpose... Like, that's not just a, a fuck-up on no, Kubrick's no, part. No, no, no. That's purposeful to be unsettling because he goes way out of his way to establish where that room is yep. and then completely pull the rug out from you know from under you. Yes. And they do that throughout the movie. And, and whether there's a statement to be made or not, which is what Room 237 is all about, yes. I think is, is almost irrelevant. What I think it is is these are all just little visual cues to make you feel trapped in the hotel as yes. well. Yes, You know, uh, when they first are introduced by Halloran into the kitchen, and we were pointing that out when we were just watching it now, they enter one door. Yes. They show them from the inside. It's a static shot. And then they leave through the same door, but they've effectively exited through a door that's a couple feet down from where they entered. Yes. And you don't notice it except to be looking for it. Yep. But there's it does a, leave you unsettled where you just are starting to question what's real. Yeah, there's a scene where a chair disappears from behind Jack in the mm -hmm. middle of a scene. And we were talking, like, a lot of these things could just be general film gaffes. Yeah, your continuity Gen director sneezed, you lost a chair. Exactly. Generally speaking, Kubrick is considered like a, uh, almost like an OCD compulsive master of detail. Mm. So a lot of people assume that it's not. It's never coincidence with his movies. I, I think it could easily be coincidence Absolutely. that these are just gaffes. But... Uh, whether they're gaffes or not, they all work for The Shining because he was definitely intentionally trying to confuse and trap you in the hotel. Mm -hmm. So even when those little subtle gaffes occur, if they're gaffes or they're intentional, they are helping the movie confuse you and confound you and trap you further inside the maze, which is one of the central images in uh, in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, trap you in this maze that you could say is Jack's mind or is just the hotel itself or however you want to you know, choose to interpret that metaphor. Well, let's talk about Jack's mind with the maze. Yeah. The maze is something that is not featured in Stephen King's book at all. No. Hedge, hedge maze is gone. There's hedge animals. They kind of become animated and alive a little bit. Yeah, and it's, it's scary and effective in the book. It's definitely scary sure. and it's very Stephen King. Yes. You know, and it, it, it is what it is, but in terms of once again taking the source material and finding a better story, as the story goes, the the budget to create these animal bushes was just 
you know, wrong. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because they found something that's so much easier to do. And illustrates the point much better. Illustrates the point and almost sloppily, literally. <laughs> yes, but, uh, yes. it's still just done so, so smoothly by Kubrick. He's so yeah. good at this that he's able to create this second layer. The hedge maze is what this hotel is famous for. Yep. They have a hedge maze that tourists that come there to ski can wander around in and get lost. But if you look at this hedge maze, it is an allegory for the hotel. There's the big central area. Yep. It's impossible to get to, which is runs parallel to the central area room where Jack writes. Yep. And then there's this maze all, you know, emanating from that center point. Spreads out from there. Which is essentially how the hotel is built and is also a map, as you had suggested when we were watching it, uh, of Jack's brain. Yes. And it's first established in a scene where um, uh, Danny and his mom enter the hedge maze on their own just to take a walk. And then we have Jack looking over a model of the hedge maze that he has in his little central office. And they do a great overhead shot that appears to be what he's seeing. And then you realize as we zoom in, it's just another shot of the actual hedge maze because we see the two of them in it. Yes. And it really captures the essence of Jack has started to assume this role of he is now watching over them. It's it's up to him to bring them into this hotel. Yeah. He's he's down the river. Well, we, had know, the, he's in. we had the discussion that he essentially becomes the Minotaur. He is a Minotaur. Yeah. Like as far and they, they reference this in room two thirty seven, you know, any hedge maze mythology has a Minotaur mm. uh, who is sort of this beast at the center of the hedge maze that is kind of in charge of the hedge maze. Mm -hmm. And you have this idea we kind of discussed you have this idea that he is the Minotaur in the overlook, that mm. every winter they have to hire a Minotaur to watch over the maze to watch over this winding insular history mm -hmm. that continually repeats itself and comes alive and is still alive in this house. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're always in need of a new caretaker, a new minotaur. Uh, and, he, you know, especially to his family, he definitely becomes a minotaur, becomes a oh, beast. They even is... show that one shot. It's, it's right after that scene where he's looking out the window, watching his wife and child play in the snow. Yeah. And it's framed in a way that right over uh, his, uh, Sta uh, stage right shoulder yes. is is uh, a set of horns on the wall, yep. and it's that. Fa and you know the shot: Jack yes. Nicholson ribbed sweater, looking up over his own eyebrows, and it just it's holds terrifying. on him for yeah. And it's almost him accepting that role, and yep. and and you you can almost think of the Overlook as the doorway to hell because the Minotaur, what that was, from what I understand, was he was the the gatekeeper. Yes, he would get through the maze, and everything that would tempt you to go further was just a lie mm -hmm. everything that would draw mm -hmm. you in much like this hotel that yes. doesn't even architecturally work nope you know you step in and you're only going to get decepted deceived yes. further into getting in there and at the head of it all is the minotaur who drags you to hell yep and that's what happens and luckily danny being blessed with the shining has the one tool that can escape it yes and that's the story that that I think Stephen King has has missed. Yes, that's yes. the story Kubrick found and layered it with with, you know, just the. Uh, well, let's talk about their relationship. Oh, the, the, it's the it's like a beautiful family father. drama. Like, yeah, uh, it's terrifying. It's it's so scary. Every interaction they have is Wendy being absolutely terrified. Is, is her name Wendy? I'm trying to. Yeah, isn't it's it? Wendy. Yeah, I yeah. think it is. Uh, for some reason, that's not sitting with me. Yeah, I'm almost positive it's Wendy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Remember, because he uh, uh, Dick says to her, uh, Halloran says. Uh, now, I heard your husband reference you as Winifred. Now, so are you a Winnie or a Freddy? And she says, I'm oh. a Wendy. And he says, oh, that's the most beautiful one, I think. That's it. You're right. Yeah. So I was, I was Wikipedia now. I feel like i got to get a yes. uh, get some facts up. And uh, so Wendy is always, you can hear it in her voice. 
She is terrified to have any kind of conversation with Jack. She asks him the dumbest questions when she's talking to him. And I don't mean dumb and like, what a dumb lady. Ladies are so dumb. I mean, she's literally like... Uh, she's placating him. Yeah, she's like, oh, really nice weather we're having today, aren't we, Jack? And uh, I- I'm going to make some some breakfast. I'm, I'm going to make some eggs. It's it's going to be delicious, won't it, Jack? Oh, like, yeah, she's, she's just terrified she's, she's going to set him up. Yeah, she's anything it's she says could be the thing that... archetypal character that we've all met and seen in movies and met in real life. And at the same time, and it, it, it is a weird pair that you often see because there is the f- the fearful wife who's just trying to do right by her husband yep. and the husband who's clearly just irritated by her. Yes. And it doesn't mix and and they're and almost deluding themselves. They are. And that's the whole thing. They're faking this this relationship they have. Mm. They they spend the entire movie faking this husband, wife, uh, mother, father relationship. Mm. Um, she, I mean... She is faking it because she's just so afraid of him, I think. Mm. And he's faking it because he thinks that's what he's supposed to be, even though he knows deep down he's not that. He's forcibly trying to be a good father and a good husband, mm-hmm. uh, but can't because it's not. That's not Jack Torrance. That's not who he is. He's like fighting his nature to be Absolutely. those things. And I think that's a big battle that he's having with the Overlook. The yes. Overlook is trying to celebrate its own history. Yes, it's trying to show off the fact that. Because they, they refer to, uh, Halloran refers to, you know, it's like pages in a book. You know, yes. It's pictures in a book. Yep. These are all, it's a classic trope of hauntings that ghosts just repeat what they do over yes. and over again. And so this is a whole collection of memories that are stuck in this hotel. Yep. And then the ones that are the most violent are the ones that really, really flare up. He refers to it as burnt toast. Burnt toast, exactly. Yeah. And they really, really flare up. And so to, uh, you know, he he's a... Uh, I lost my train of thought. It's uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> there's so much to discuss about The Shining. It's exploiting Jack's human weaknesses mm-hmm. to its own gain. It Jack's trying to learn from his history yes. and escape from it. Yes. And the Overlook is uh, is uh exploiting that. Yes. To get him to acquiesce to it and live in kind of a misery loves company relationship. Exactly. With Celebrate the the this awful history together. And I think a discussion to be had is how early on does Jack take the bait? Yeah. And I think he doesn't realize he's taken... I mean, we've said he's taken the bait long before he even arrived at the hotel. I agree. Essentially. But he's still fighting it. And... there, I think the moment he takes the bait, and you and I both have the same reaction to this moment, the moment he really takes the bait is uh, he he's having a fight with Wendy. He's, like, shouting at her. And you, you already get the impression that something's happening to Jack at this mm-hmm. point. Like, he is... I think at that point Jack's losing his marbles, mm-hmm. but it may not be, and it's definitely from the influence of the house. But I don't think. But he's, it's still believably cabin fever. Exactly, if, if be. exactly. Yeah. He he hasn't he hasn't drank the juice yet. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it it's still just uh, him sort of losing his mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's shouting at her and screaming at her, and she's getting upset. And then Danny comes around the corner with bruises on his neck and on his face. And she and then his wife goes over and grabs Danny. And when she sees the bruises, she looks back at Jack who now is having this moment, you can kind of see it on his face, he's having this moment like, I can't stand her, I can't stand my son, I don't know what's happening to me, I, they're kind of making me lose my mind, I'm losing my mind. And she looks up and she's like, you did this to him. And he has this look on his face like, no, I actually didn't, like I know I didn't do yeah. this. But this it's is also why... based with a little bit of a, did I? I know. Yeah. But it's also his reaction is like, this is why I hate you. 
because this is what you think of me. You never let me escape my past. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to escape my past, and you won't let me. He blames it on her. He's like, you're trapping me. He says it to Grady. It. Exactly. Like, never then the next go. scene is he's walking down the hall, and he's punching the wall, and he's, he's going down, and he's like pulling his hair. He walks into the bar. He sits down. There's no one at the bar. There's no alcohol behind it. He puts his hands in his face. He puts his face in his hands, pulls his hands down slowly, and there's a bartender there. And the bartender pours him a drink, and he's having this conversation. He's like, she never lets me go. She never lets me forget it. It was three years ago. Yeah, maybe I injured him, but it, it's a thing that happened, and I learned from it. I'm trying to move past it. I'm trying to learn from it. And then he takes a big gulp of the drink, and he just pauses mm-hmm. and has this look on his face, and his face totally changes. Oh, that was and night and day. Yep. From then on, I think that's the mo- I mean, that's he literally drinks the juice. Yeah, literally you know what I mean? he has the juice. He has that first drink of alcohol, and that's the moment he accepts what the hotel wants of him. Absolutely. I, I, th- I don't know. That to well, me that's is like the actually the point. most revealing the hotel is to him, too. Yes, yeah. That's the first time the hotel opens up and literally speaks to him directly. Yeah. You know, literally opens him up yes. to that world. And Which there is the allegory for him drinking, and it can be argued whether he's actually drunk or not. Right. But it doesn't matter because he thinks he's drunk. Exactly. And he's repeating his patterns. Exactly. And so it's it's him doing exactly what the hotel wants, yep. is to exploit his own history and draw him into that. And it's and it, and it can be argued still that maybe he did, you know, hit Danny. Right. And neither of them are reliable enough characters nope. that we can we'll say that either of them. We'll yeah. never know. And and it's it's not important. No, you know the whole thing is we're lost. We're we're not going to get answers. We're only yes. going to be asked more questions until you just accept like, well, I'm fucked. Yeah, or you know, I'm welcomed into this hotel. Well, and that that uh, moment leads to something that you and I were really laughing about. Uh, Great line. The probably my favorite line in The Shining. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine a long time ago pointed it out to me. Uh, uh, Jack is sitting there at the bar talking to a ghost bartender. He's losing his mind, having a full-on conversation with a dead ghost bartender. Getting drunk off of imaginary booze. Exactly. And then, all of a sudden, his wife comes up, out of her mind. She's crying. She's She's like, Jack, Jack, Danny saw someone. There was a woman in the room, and it hit him, and it choked him, and it's, there's someone in the hotel with us. And Jack turns and looks at her and goes, are you out of your fucking mind? And he says it with such genuine hatred for her yes. and such genuine, like, you are mad. Yes. Despite the fact I've just been talking to a ghost bartender and drinking uh, non-existent alcohol. There it's is so a lot of light funny. humor in the movie. Yeah. It's dark humor because it's it's stuff that you go, ha, ha, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, When yeah. she's looking through the iconic All Work and No yes. Play Makes Jack a Dull Boy, the, just the formation of the text yes. and the sheer creativity as she goes through page yep. after page of the repeated text, because it's not just written line after line. It's written in shapes. It's got paragraph formatting in different yeah, places. It goes to like a haikus at one point. Yeah, it's like, crazy. <laughs> yeah. It breaks it up like that, and it's very funny too and but that's a great scene too because she is lost because she's just tearing away it's yes. like please find me something normal that exactly. i can cling to exactly and oh and kudos to her she that that is one of the most iconic scream queen roles yes that is not a scream queen role i know it transcends it it's better than anyone else ever mm-hmm. was you know, I, the, I agree it has gone beyond the tropes the, I mean, performances across the board in this movie, I think, are fantastic. Phenomenal. Even Scatman Carruthers is just, like, perfect for that role. Well, you know? Let's talk like, about him. Yeah. yeah. Scatman Carruthers, 85-year-old or how, uh, presumably uh, caretaker, uh, I mean, not caretaker, head chef at the Overlook yes, Hotel. Yes. He is another person afflicted with the power of The Shining yes. and kind of uh, introduces Danny to the idea of using it to contact him and, you know, how to keep it in check. Mm-hmm. And so he gets drawn back to the Overlook Hotel from his summer home in Miami. Yes. From which he uh, flies in a plane 
uh, I guess Hitches gets some uh, gets a uh, snow crawler of his own just to get the. It takes him forever just to get there to save this family. There's who's no talking joke to him based on a on a hunch. And, and there's no he, joke like a half hour of this movie dedicated to his journey oh, yeah. back to the Overlook. He's probably got a good 15 minutes of screen time just of journeying. just collected him journeying. Yep. And then he walks in and immediately, in one of the most tense scenes, gets stabbed in the chest with an uh, axe by Jack with no fanfare. Nope. You don't even get a facial reaction shot on it. I don't think you see it. him fall to the ground. No, you don't see him like fall to the ground. Like you just see the puncture hit his chest, and then you see uh, the way that that Jack's doing it. He, I, I, oh, he right, kind of has that look like he bros out a little bit on yeah, it. Yeah, you know? that's what it is. He like hits him in the chest. You mm. see it come out of his chest, and then the next shot is Jack slowly rising from the bottom of the frame with the yeah. axe in his hand, and then you just see Dick in a pile on the floor, mm. and that's it. That's a big all old pile of dicks. <laughs> just a pile of dick on the floor, but yeah, a big pile of black <laughs> dick on the floor, <laughs> and um. No, but yeah, and it this was, hotel has everything. <laughs> this is haunted, <laughs> and um, he uh, no, he's just he's done, and there's no fanfare, no anything, and it almost seems as if his whole plot line was functionless. Yes, because you're so invested on him showing up and using his shining power yep. in a movie titled The Shining to help save him, but he doesn't. And but know, that, it turns out that that is what allows a window of time to open up for Danny to escape yes. and for Wendy to escape. And so and that's he also, really is the sacrifice that saved the day. Yes. You know, that sacrifice to the hotel bought them time and That's a very Stephen King thing to do as well. Absolutely. To spend a lot of time telling Dick O'Halloran's story of having to get back to the hotel and how desperately he's trying to get there and knowing what he needs to do in order to save this family and help this kid and help this woman and getting there just to die. Mm-hmm. Like that's like a very Stephen King thing to do to spend all that time developing something only to just take it out from under your feet. Absolutely. Um, but it was very usable. It it was <clears throat> it was a very big plot shift. Yeah. Cuz him showing up is what is what caused uh is what caused uh, Jack to leave the bathroom, the famous here's yes, Johnny scene. Yeah. Um him then leaving follows Danny into the hedge maze. Yep. Which allows Wendy to escape. Yep. And then of course Danny not forgetting about his past, using it and informing his decisions, retraces his retraces footsteps, his footsteps and confuses his escape. father and escapes. Uh, so one thing I want to talk about really quick before I, because I think we are going to have to wrap our first episode up here. We're, yeah, we've we're, got about three or four minutes to wrap up some ideas here. Yeah. Uh, so there's one thing I want to talk about for sure, because this was something I kept mentioning to you. So I was watching Room 237, the documentary mm-hmm. about The Shining, and everybody's throwing out all these different theories and ideas. Some people think that it's about our history of murdering the American Indians as we came across America. Mm-hmm. Some people think it's actually the story of Hitler murdering all the Jews. And, mm-hmm. and then in general, the one of the consensus is, is you no, know, the movie is just about our past mm-hmm. it's about remembering our past and not forgetting it if we forget Absolutely. our past it's doomed to repeat itself and also not being slave to your past exactly moving forward yeah uh but then there's one guy who says it's all about kubrick's experience of having to cover up the fact that he faked the moon landing yeah. for the united states <laughs> government insane. there's t- there's all these insane theories this is what i realized watching that movie if the shining is anything at all all the shining is is a mirror I don't know how Kubrick did it. Absolutely. I don't know how he w- I I don't know if he intended to do it. But what he did was he made an unsolvable Rubik's cube. He made an unsolvable puzzle. I think intentionally so. Mm. Uh you know, the confusing architecture, the maze, 
the fact that all the, the literal carpets, mirror yeah the fact that all the carpets look like an unending uh mm. confusing maze patterns there's a literal mirror that is constantly referenced a literal over mirror that only again. reflects jack yes we notice that no one else gets reflected yeah. in the mirror constantly only reflects jack he's looking into this hotel and seeing only his own madness exactly yes that's a brilliant point and we see both wendy and danny look in that mirror and we see no reflection of them in that and mirror. they reject it yes they reject uh, it immediately yes uh so you you have all these different ideas right this this very confusing unsolvable puzzle and all that does it means that whatever you bring to the shining the shining will reflect back at you absolutely so that's why there are unending interpretations of the shining and the shining could mean anything to anyone and i realized that as i was watching the documentary because i don't know if the doc i i don't know if the guy's the people talking were asked any questions or if they gave this information freely, but almost every single one of them as they were giving their interpretation of what The Shining was and what it meant to them. They'd go, oh, yeah, and you know what? I'm probably seeing this because I'm actually a history major oh, and yeah, specialize exactly. in World War II history. I used to be an American Indian. Right, <laughs> yeah, no, and that was it. And, and so everything that everybody, you know, whatever people brought to The Shining, it just reflected back at them, and they go, yeah, look, it gives me all the evidence I need to know that I'm right about that. Absolutely. Which scared the goddamn shit out of me because as I just discussed, my theory about The Shining was always it's about an everyman that goes insane. <laughs> that can lose his mind. That can lose his mind, which means that my interpretation of The Shining is literally just my own fear that I could go crazy. That you at could any be point. The Shining. Yeah, that I could, that you could, that I could go insane, and that's terrifying. By The Shining. <laughs> well, I think, and and this, uh, I think I'll make this my final point because I, I have related a lot to The Shining. I, I remember, even just as a kid, feeling that weird fear of authority that Danny has of his father. Yeah. Now his is more informed based on the possible child abuse in the past, yeah. but like I had that fear of my parents that yeah. it was like I love them, I know they're but I don't want to piss them off. Yeah. And you know and it's just a real child fear. Now his is of course, you know, mine was just manifested out of imagination. His is manifested There's some there. literal, yeah. But that's such a a thing that's just personal to me that that I yeah. got out of it and I think it speaks to and why the shining I think was important for us to discuss is that whether Kubrick intended to draw any of this meaning or none of this meaning is irrelevant. What it is is he wanted to make such an intricate picture yes. that it could work universally as yes. that mirror. Something that, that is anyone could look into it and learn something, experience something, yes. and do it through fear. And in in effectively doing so, making one of the scariest movies ever. Because what's scarier than looking at yourself and yes. seeing what you're capable of? Yeah, exactly. And it's a testament to just a technically well-made movie. And that's the thing. I mean, we didn't even get into that too much. And I, maybe we'll end on that point is uh, forget about story. Forget about all that stuff. Kubrick was able to do this, was able to create this unsolvable puzzle that becomes a mirror Strictly through visuals, really, more through than using, anything well, else. Visuals, audio, and, and audio, yes. Coaxing performances out of his actors, yes. all things that cannot be done outside Any of the other film medium. of a medium and are not requirements to make a good movie. No. But they are requirements to make an a movie for us to talk about. Yeah. Celebratory movie that celebrates a what movie it is movie. to be. Yeah, it's a movie <laughs> it's movie. A movie movie. It is. Uh, so this was our first sprawling, excited conversation about a movie that we love, and we were going to keep coming back to this. Can you tell we love this. The Shining? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we I wanna, feel like I could do three episodes dude, on that. I There's so much more I want to fucking this. talk about. I know, about. me too. Uh, but I, we do, I think we do have to wrap it up. we got to put a pin on, pin on The Shining. Uh, I, I would encourage you to watch The Shining. I would encourage you to look into Room 237. It's a, it's a fascinating documentary. And it's it's really uh, on par with us in terms of it's it's less about the actual theories and more about... How worth it! Is, how worth it it is to discuss that movie. Yes, you know it is a celebration of why we watch movies and how fun it is. And 
Absolutely. You know, how we can exploit those interests through fear. And uh, another thing I would encourage people to watch, because we didn't get to talk about it, uh, and Dan actually needs to see this at some point, there is if you have uh, one of the DVD copies of The Shining, oh, yeah. there's a documentary on it that Kubrick's wife made uh, that is essentially just the making of The Shining. She just shot a lot of footage of them as they were making The Shining. It's another really interesting look into what this movie is, how it was made, and how all of these little visual cues that uh, Kubrick sets up really can influence the story like that. Absolutely. Uh, it's so it's worth watching. Uh, hey, you know what? I'm just going to throw this out there, too. This movie was made in 1980. Yes. So, like, all of this camera trickery and all that was actual perspective and camera trickery. Yes. This is literally just a man who is mad enough to make this movie to arrange and set up everything tangibly and physically right in front of the camera and film, as, film it as it was. And it truly is the way magic is done. Yes. You know, that is how a magician works, and that that's movie magic. And and it casts it casts its spell on you. you <laughs> no, I I implore you to check out The Shining, and and I think a lot of people, myself included, watched it and did not like it, but found themselves drawn to watch it again, and much like Jack, were eventually drawn in and won over by it, and you realize how in depth it is. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's worth watching and exploring. I mean, it, it's honestly, it's worth watching with a group of people and Absolutely. just talking about your experience watching it together. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee if you do that more than once, you will have totally different conversations every time you watch it. Absolutely. Uh, because it is, a, it's an unsolvable Rubik's Cube. We've had so. 20 other conversations oh about God. this movie in preparation for this podcast that didn't even make it on. Nope. And we'll probably continue to have these conversations after this podcast is over. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so until the next podcast, absolutely. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. It's with an F. Uh, you can find our show on Twitter at I like number two movie movie. Yes. Or I like two movie, right? It's one movie. It's I like two movie, but use the number, number two, two instead <laughs> of the T.O. We'll figure out how to say yes. that succinctly. Don't by put next Terrell episode. Owens in there. Put <laughs> two, two, the number two. Yes. The number two. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have uh, a website up and running soon. We're going to get a Facebook page up and running. Yes. Uh, you can check us out on roadsidenetwork.com. I imagine we'll we'll be on iTunes. <laughs> yes, we should yes. be on iTunes shortly. Uh, and uh, Dan, you want to throw oh, anything yes. out there? Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Scully and check out my blog. I do write about movies a lot. I'm I think I'm going to be doing some stuff in conjunction with this at thedanscully.tumblr.com. Definitely uh, follow us. Check it out. And um, you should also check out our other podcasts on Roadside Network, Super Crappy Fun Time and Garrett's show. Uh, Trailer Trash. Uh, I encourage you to check out Pearl Mania, another great uh, local Philly comedy show on the network. Uh, and uh, I guess until next time, uh, I like to movie movie. <laughs> I like to movie movie. You like to movie movie. We like to movie. movie. <laughs> this has been a Roadside Network podcast produced by Mike Bauer. For more podcasts, go to roadsidenetwork.com.